are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there, welcome to this week's podcast. So this week, I just wanted to have a chat about a blog post that I wrote. Uh, I think I published it last week. And I uh, got quite a couple of emails about that, quite a few emails, so I thought I'd chat about it. And um, I think it's it feels really important to me that people understand that food is a lot more than just nutrition. I think that, and I can see where this comes from, what happens in eating disorder treatment is treatment providers say, oh, look, this person's terrified of food, and it certainly makes us feel less fearful or makes us feel as if eating is more justified if we it is explained to us the nutritional component of food and exactly why we need fat and exactly why we need protein, exactly why we need these different macronutrients, calories amount, explained in a way that helps us understand that these are required for the biological functioning of our bodies. And so I, I get all of that. But I think the problem that occurs then is it just further teaches people or further reinforces the belief that many people with eating disorders have that the reason that we eat is for nutrition and that's the only valid reason for eating and I know I've done lots of blog posts on things like emotional eating I think I did a podcast on emotional eating as well and saying that actually emotional eating is a very valid reason to eat and the only problem starts to happen when people are told that oh you're emotional eating in a way that makes them think they shouldn't do that for some reason stress is um, intense on the body stress is demanding on the body Stress means that the body is functioning at a higher, in a higher gear. That requires more food. And so when we're stressed, when we're feeling emotional, many of us want to eat more. And that's an absolutely valid reason for eating more. And many of us want to eat really highly high-calorie food, um, chocolate, (laughs) crisps, you know, like that sort of snacky food. And that's entirely valid because that's because your brain knows that the stuff in that food that's going to help it out. And so in the same vein, I just want to talk about the social role of food and exactly why this is really important and how and why it's sometimes damaging when too much emphasis is put on the nutritional value and using nutritional value as a justification for eating. So in this blog post, I gave an example that uh, happened a pretty long time ago now and I know I was I know I was still sick when it happened and I can't remember the exact circumstances but I know that you know wherever I worked when I had an eating disorder it didn't take very long for colleagues and people just to recognize that I don't know the atmosphere in the room got rather stale if they offered me food (laughs) so you know how you train people when you have an eating disorder not to offer you food well I was pretty good at training people not to offer me food but I remember this one time in this one job there was a new person new person had started and it was she was only a day or so in and she bought a load of cupcakes in really pretty chocolate cupcakes I think they were chocolate and coffee and they had like pretty decorated coffee beans on top of them and they they did they looked fabulous and um You know, when I had my eating disorder, this would be the general thing. Somebody would come in with something like that, cake or cupcakes or biscuits, and I'd just pretend I was engrossed in what I was doing and I absolutely hadn't noticed that the food had been brought into the room, which is ironic because now that I don't have an eating disorder, 
I'm actually much more likely not to notice when somebody brings food into the room because I'm not hyper aware around food anymore. But when I had an eating disorder and I was restricting food, my brain was very hyper aware about any sort of food. And so if somebody was walking into the room with any food I had noticed, you can guarantee that. But then I would pretend I hadn't because I wouldn't want them to come over and offer me any. And so I was there burying myself in whatever it was that I was supposed to be engrossed in. And um, she came over and said, you know, would you like a cupcake? And I did my usual curse response. No, thanks. I've already eaten. I remember that was my response. And that was one of many responses I'd give. I'd say something like, no thanks, I'm not hungry. No thanks, I don't like chocolate and coffee cupcakes. None of those things would be true, but that's the sort of thing I would say. But this time I said, no thanks, I've already eaten. I remember that because it was close enough to lunchtime that that would seem like a viable excuse. But um, she just looked at me and she just said, Tabitha, nobody eats a cupcake because they're hungry or because they need nutritional substance. If I thought you were hungry, I would have offered to take you out to lunch. We eat cupcakes just because they are cupcakes. We eat cupcakes for joy. And I'm asking you to share some joy with me. And I was totally gobsmacked. Because, well, first of all, I was just like, what are you talking about, you idiot? Of course, my brain almost couldn't process that concept that this is not, you're not eating a cupcake for the nutritional substance it provides you, ever. You're just eating it because it's nice to eat. And that also smacked me in the face, her saying that, because when I got my brain around that, I realized that I hadn't eaten like that for, I couldn't even remember when I had last eaten like that. And then it struck me just that what sort of freedom that must be to have a brain that didn't scan every single piece of food for its nutritional value and clock all of that up and add it, put it into the calculator and come out with a yes or no. To have a brain that actually just went, oh, a cupcake. I don't mind if I do. And well, I had an eating, you know, my eating disorder was still very active then. So of course, I, I just kind of looked at her like she'd sent something barbaric and um, said, um, no, thank you, I don't really want one. And she went away, much to my relief. But those words that she said stayed with me. I mean, obviously they did, because I wrote them into a blog post however many years and years later. And they kept on just going round and round in my head. So did that bizarre concept of eating for joy. And... I don't think I noticed it necessarily at the time that day. I think I was just still so so completely bulldozed by what she said to me. But I can imagine that what happened after that would be the same thing that happened with so, so many different times in my life when I'd said no to the food. And then everybody else sort of sat over eating cupcakes and having a laugh and uh, just sharing that time eating cupcakes. And I would have been sat off to the side pretending to be engrossed in whatever I was doing and pretending that I didn't want a cupcake when really all that my head was doing was sitting with those people eating cupcakes wishing that I could be doing the same thing and um, it's a bit sad isn't it and like I said that was just a constant theme in my life actually other people sharing food sharing meals sharing cupcakes and cake and me not me sitting off to the side awkwardly not wanting to be a part of the eating that they were doing, but very much wanting to be a part of what they were doing. And 
it also just feeling impossible. I know that sometimes I would try and do things like, say, if people were sitting around sharing some food, I'd, I'd try and go and sit with them and just then awkwardly sit there not eating the food uh, and pretending that there was nothing sort of strange about that and everyone was totally cool with it. When I really just felt like I was... So then I'd be sitting physically with them, but not really. There was always something missing and I could never work out what it was. And that something that was missing was this, the social part of what sharing food is. And I thought about this a lot in, in the last couple of years, especially since I've sort of got more into looking at migration theory and genetics and reasons, biological reasons why eating disorders develop and also biological reasons and genetic reasons around lots of things like how humans developed. And if you think about if you think about years and years and years ago before we had refrigerators and things like that, food would have been just a lot harder to come by. You would have either it would be just more difficult, wouldn't it? Unless you were a king or a queen. Food's sort of a big deal. Um especially good food, especially sort of the more luxurious food. I mean now you can just go you can go down the road anywhere and there'll be a shop that sells chocolate bars and cupcakes and cakes and birthday cakes and all these things that we just take for granted. But can you imagine when food was much more scarce and just you had to really work hard to get it? What those sorts of things like cake and pies, that they would have been a big deal and they would have been, you wouldn't be able to go and just buy them from Tesco. You'd actually, if someone... If there was a cake there, somebody would have made that. If there was a pie there, somebody would have made that. There was always a lot, there would have been a lot of effort put into food. And especially in really early humans, food would have been, especially meat, something that one had to catch. And that's a big deal. So can you imagine how much importance and how much trust you would have to give if you invited somebody to come and share a meal with you. Especially when most of the time other humans, other human tribes, other human families would be competition for resources. And there'll be all this political stuff as we now think of it going on. One of the biggest things that would have happened between different families would be just that, the invitation to come and share food, to share something that was precious, that was scarce that took effort that would have been such a big deal to sit down at a table with people who are not your immediate family and so that's why sharing food still is it would have developed as a very social um, part of humans and how we relate to one another and how we connect for one another and I'm guessing it wouldn't always go well. Sometimes wars would be started over suppers and mealtimes and feasts. But sometimes peace would be made as well. And so I imagine a lot of the time marriages would be arranged. And so I feel that a lot of what I felt when I had an eating disorder, a lot of the disconnect that I felt socially, even when I was in the same damn room as other people, was just that I was never able to really share food. Sometimes I'd take my own food. And that's not the same though, is it? 
it's not the same as being able to sit down and share what other people are eating. And I know if you think about it logically, it should be the same, but there's something missing and it doesn't have to be explained by logic. It can be explained by just being human, like any other sort of um, social science things. There is something to be said about sharing food and it would have evolved because sharing food would have been such a big deal for humans at some point. And so I think that it's part of our social makeup, being able to share food, not take your own food and eat something different necessarily, but being able to share food with other people is just like this social glue. And that's exactly what I felt was missing when I was trying to socialize and when I had an eating disorder. And so I gave the example of the last supper in that blog post, but you know, there's a reason it's the last supper. It's not just like the last meeting around the rock or it's the last supper just brings these feelings of like, Ooh, something's going to happen. It's big. And it's because that is the intimate part, isn't it? Just imagining people sitting around and sharing food. There's a reason why we say to break bread with other people. It's because it's bringing them into this intimate space where it's going to be, this is us person to person. And I'm sharing something with you that is important to me and is precious to me. Because food, even though it's so widely available now, it's still very important to us. And it's precious to our biology. Um, So, you know, I've never had a last supper, but I've had plenty of birthdays. Too many at this point. Don't even count them anymore. I've had plenty of Christmases, and since I've lived in America, I've had plenty of Thanksgivings, but don't really do Thanksgivings in England, but Christmas is quite a big deal. And I think there's a reason that I used to dread Christmas, because Christmas is all around Christmas dinner, and it's all around Christmas food, and there's all this thing, like Christmas, part of the the magic and everything around Christmas involves sharing meals with people. And I know that when I had an eating disorder, it used to really irritate me. Why does everything important have to revolve around food? I used to say that because it would just annoy me that, oh, a family come into town and we have to have a big meal together. Just like everything that seems social. Oh, so-and-so is getting married. Let's go out for a meal with them. And everything that seemed important had to involve food. And that was so problematic for me because I had a problem with food. So I used to get so resentful of that. It used to bug me that ah why does it always have to be about food why can't people just meet and it not be about food and now I'm like well duh (laughs) because that's how we bond that's how we share that's how we are social it's built into us that we go to when we want to share with other people we go to food that's just built in because it's important and so now I'm just like well of course Then it really bothered me. Um, But the reason it bothered me, of course, was because I couldn't do it. I couldn't connect. I couldn't share like that when food was present. I was just too much in my sympathetic nervous system to be able to really be in a relaxed place where I could connect and share. And so food did the opposite for me than it does for most people. It really put me on edge and made me more distant. And I can remember just about every Christmas that I had with anorexia and none of them are happy because I used to dread that large meal. I used to event restrict for that large meal, which means for 
months before Christmas, I was over-exercising, under-eating even more than usual, with the idea of I'm going to have to eat this big meal at Christmas. It just was such a, it's such a point of anxiety for me. And then, of course, I would ruin everybody else's Christmas meal as well by not being able to eat, and then my mother would get upset, and it'd be a family argument. And so I, I used to dread Christmas, and the same with birthdays, and the annoying thing about birthdays that it's always about birthday cake, isn't it? And I just didn't get it when I had an eating disorder. Why does it always have to be about a birthday cake? And I used to tell people, I don't even like birthday cake. I don't want a birthday cake. And well, that's a stupid thing to say, because who doesn't like cake? Um, I just didn't want to have that pressure. But there's a reason that people always want to share birthday cake with you on your birthday. And that's not about the nutritional substance of birthday cake. It's about sharing something important and that social glue. It's about being with somebody, sharing food with them, because that is a way that we say to one another, I love you and I trust you. And you are part of my social group. You are part of my family. And so that's the reason that people want to do that with you on your birthday. And that used to drive me crazy when I had an eating disorder. And now... I totally get it again. I just never really thought about it as clearly before as, you know, as as to how, why is it important? Birthday cake, why is that important? What does that show? And it's definitely not about the ingredients in the cake, is it? And it's, we don't eat birthday cake because we need nutritional substance that day. We eat birthday cake because it's a celebration and it's a sharing. And We can pretend that those things don't exist and we can pretend that those things, the bits that we can't see and the bits that we can't measure, because it's so easy. We can measure calories, or at least we think we can. We can't really. And we can think we can measure macronutrients, things like that. So we can measure all those things and we can get data on that. People with eating disorders love data. And so that makes it easier, doesn't it, to be able to say, I need those calories, therefore I am allowed to eat this thing. But it's really difficult to collect data on social things, things that we just feel, things that we just have inclinations towards and social structures that exist within our brains. But it's there. Because if it wasn't there, nobody would care about birthday cake. And if it wasn't there, we wouldn't feel sad for other people who we know are alone at Christmas time. And you know, when, especially in, in America with Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving is really the big family thing over here and um at thanksgiving it's sort of like oh you know nobody should be alone at thanksgiving meal everybody should even if you invite your neighbor if they're alone you don't let people be alone on thanksgiving the reason that we do that is not because we are worried that they won't get enough tryptophan that day the reason that we do that is not because we are worried that they will miss out on the nutrients that exist within turkey The reason that we do that is because of that social part. We don't want them to be alone and we want them to share a meal because in sharing a meal, we are saying, this is our community. This is family and you are part of that. And we don't want people to be alone. That's why we want people to have other people to share a Thanksgiving meal with. It has nothing to do with the nutritional substance of the food. And so there is so much more to food and humans evolved bonding over food. Not just humans as well, other animals as well. Food is a huge 
social tool for us. And when we ignore that, we fall into problems and we often feel lonely and we don't know why. Because I know I could go to events and I could not eat the food and I'd still feel lonely. And it was so confusing to me because I'd be like, I went to the party. God damn it. Why do I still feel like I'm sitting on the outside? And that's because I went there physically, but I didn't go there socially or emotionally. And I didn't enter into that place of being emotionally and socially and everything vulnerable by sharing food with people. Because it does require us to be a bit vulnerable to share food with people. Imagine many, many years ago, you could be invited to share a meal with your energy enemy and they, they could have poisoned you. That is That requires vulnerability. Less so these days, probably less common than that's going to happen. But that 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 social part will have still all of this stuff comes with us in our genes. It it all is evolved with us, and so there is vulnerability in sharing food with people as well, but in a really good way. It's the sort of vulnerability that's saying, "I trust you," and we may not think that. That's not on a conscious level, but it's certainly there as a subconscious level, and so I think that. Even in recovery, and I know that it's this, it, it, um, it helps, doesn't it? It helps to be able to say, I need to eat this food and I'm allowed to eat this food because I need more protein today. Or if you're counting calories, because I need more calories today. So that's what permits me to eat this food. But it's, that sort of thing is only ever going to get you so far. You have to be able to justify eating food just because you want to. You have to be able to justify eating food just because somebody offered it to you. You have to be able to justify eating when you're not hungry at all. That's important to be able to do that. It's important to be able to have eaten a meal and then if somebody comes and offers you a cupcake, to be able to eat that cupcake with them. It's not to do with nutritional value and it's everything to do with social value. And so... A lot of the time, I think, when you have an eating disorder, if you're wondering about that social piece, like, why doesn't it feel the same? I'm doing all the same things I used to do before I had my eating disorder, but it just feels more empty. Then have a look at that. And I, I've also heard advice um, about sort of, you know, how to manage your eating disorder that, oh, you know, if it's too much, if it's too scary for you to go out to a restaurant, it feels like too much, too overwhelming to be able to eat something, you know, at the restaurant and take your own food with you. That's okay. And I'm telling you right now, that's not okay. It's fucking weird. Unless you have a legit, pretty severe food intolerance thing going on, then it's not okay to go out for somebody's birthday meal at a restaurant and take your own fucking food. It really isn't. And like, we can pretend and say it's okay, but it's not. (laughs) It's just not. It's part of the sharing, isn't it? To do what other people are doing, to order the food with them. It's even worse if you're going to somebody's house. Do not take your own bloody food to somebody else's house. That is like all of the social stuff, like I've talked about, vulnerability, allowing other people to feed you, showing that you trust them, showing that they're in the circle of trust, all that stuff. And you take your special food to their house and nobody, like most most hosts won't be like, well, that was rude. But they're thinking it. It's abnormal. And I know that we try and be like, oh, nobody will care. Nobody will notice. People will notice if you take your own food because it's weird. Because it's 
shows some kind of otherism. It shows some kind of separation between you and everybody else. And I would know because I used to do that. I used to take my safe food with me to people's houses so that, you know, like everybody would sit around and have a meal and I'd unbox my Tupperware and I'd eat it there. And it felt weird. And I'd try and tell myself this isn't weird. Nobody's noticing that I'm eating my own little Tupperware food. But you know what? People did notice because it's weird and it felt weird and it was weird and it is weird. And it's such a joy. There's so many things about recovery that I don't take for granted. And every day I just love. And one of those things is I don't even have to think about taking my own food anywhere. Why the hell would I do that? I don't have to anymore. And I enjoy that I don't have to even worry about that or think about it. And I enjoy that I don't care what the people, somebody will serve me when I go to their place for dinner. I don't even care because it's not about the food, actually. It's about spending social time with that person and sharing a meal with them. And I love that I can eat anything, anywhere. And I love that I can do that with other people. And it really does count and it really does matter. So, all of the counting and all of the calculating, all of the maths equations and all of the meal plans, stop. Just start enjoying food. Let it all go. Let it be. Just eat. And, you know, eat with people and eat for the sake of eating with people and eat because you're not hungry. And eat because somebody made this cake and you don't even really like it, but they tried really hard and, you know, you you eat to please people. That's important too. Eat because your kid made this gross concoction of a meal that's actually really disgusting, but it's the first thing that they've ever made and the kitchen is a complete wreck and you're stressed about that, but eat with them anyway. Just eat it and tell them that it was lovely. Just eat. Eat because you're cross at someone. Eat because you're happy. Eat because you really want to be friends with somebody and they sort of asked if you want to have lunch and it's more about that you want to be friends with them than being hungry. That's a totally valid reason to eat. Eat for the sake of eating. Eat because cupcakes are fun. Food is so much more than nutrients. Food is a comfort. It's a way to feel connected. And that's by design, by the way. That's not a flaw. That's how it's supposed to be. Thanks for listening. Cheers and until next time. Cheerio.